Hello, family, and welcome to the James Taylor podcast. I am your host, James Taylor. I want to thank you and appreciate you for tuning in to this episode. Uh, to all of our uh, avid listeners, thank you. I appreciate you. For those of you who are listening in for the first time, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, I want to encourage everybody to uh, share, to uh, repost, uh, and most certainly to comment. I'd love to engage uh, with you in the comment section uh, regarding this conversation that we're having. Uh, Today's topic is entitled, What Shall We Say to These Things? Uh, This is a question that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is uh, rhetorically asking the Roman church. Uh, he, he's in the midst of this, I would call it just kind of like a rhetorical uh, inquiry. And one of the questions that he asked concerning all of the persecutions and the different things that they were facing at that time, uh, the sufferings that they were experiencing, he actually speaks about that earlier in the eighth chapter of Romans. Uh, he asks a question, what shall we say to these things? And for this past week, I've been asking myself the same question. What shall we say to these things? Now, at the recording of this podcast, it is the first day of June. Um, and we've had a, a quite a weekend here in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles County, just like many of the other states across our nation. Massive rioting uh, protest violence even and you know as a faith leader um, as a father uh, as a husband I'm, I'm 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 faced with the question what shall we say to these things or even what shall we do about these things and so i wanted to take this episode and just kind of lean into that that inquiry lean into that question and you know possibly get some type of you know, at least preliminary answer. You know, of course, we can't answer all these things. We are not omniscient in ourselves, but at least we can kind of take a crack at answering, you know, the issues of the day. And so if if you bear with me for a minute, I just want to kind of share my, um, I want to share my, I guess, my philosophical, theological vantage point on where we are as a people, where we are as a nation, and even where we are as a church right now. Uh, but before I do that, uh, I wanted I wanted to take a moment and uh, give honor to whom honor is due. I want to appreciate uh, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Dwight Ratcliffe. Um, I've met him once or twice. Uh, I don't know him uh, intimately, but... I know him from afar, and I just wanted to take a moment and appreciate him for his sermon that he preached yesterday, uh, Pentecost Sunday. His his Sunday sermon uh, was entitled A Tale of Two Bibles. And for those of you who may not know this man, this is the Reverend Dr. Dwight Radcliffe. He's the senior pastor of the Message Center in Gardena, California. He's also a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, His message from yesterday um, 
a tale of two Bibles. It was it was challenging, refreshing. It was encouraging to my soul. And so uh, you can look up the message center or look up uh, Dwight Radcliffe on Facebook. And I'm sure it will be a blessing to you. I'm sure he's someone that you want to follow. You want a friend. You want to engage with uh, he and his ministry. And so I want to just uh, thank him for that. I don't know if he would would listen to this podcast, but uh, if he were ever to hear it, I just want you to know, Pastor, you, the word that you gave was right on time for my heart, my mind, my soul, my spirit. It was great encouragement and refreshing uh, for the week that I'm going into. So thank you, sir. So let's get into it. What shall we say to these things? Now, here's my thought. Uh, we are we are hurt, right? And, and, and we're hurt understandably so. Uh, this narrative that plagues our generation is like that to which has plagued all generations prior. And that is, you know what it is, right? Injustice. It seems that the progenitors of every empire, republic, oligarchy, and theocracy have woven into the tapestry of their sovereign banner, the scarlet thread of injustice. And now it seems that Susan B. Anthony's tapestry is tearing at that very scene. You see, uh, it is my humble opinion that while the founding fathers of the union that was established in 1776 had hoped to escape the tyranny of the English monarch, they failed to cleanse their hands, hearts, and souls from King George's sin. And just like the coronavirus spread across the sea to infect the shores that we now inhabit, the pathogens of prejudice and injustice contaminated the Declaration of Independence, causing a pandemic that has lasted for 244 years. Now, while our nation in particular has been uniquely devastated by the effects of this present novel virus. Its death toll will never reach the heights of the pandemic of injustice that spanned from slave vessels in the Atlantic Ocean to police vehicles in Minneapolis, Minnesota. However, this narrative is not a Western invention. For even in the time of our Lord and Savior, his people, the Jews, were intimately equated with the evil disease of slavery and oppression. Yet tragically, those who were victimized failed to sanitize and disinfect their hearts, giving them the capacity to oppress their fellow Hebrews and crucify their most sacred son. And that very son, our Savior, who endured a lynch mob, a biased judicial system, police brutality, and even capital punishment. He knew that this would be the case for the whole world. And so therefore he declares to his disciples that he would send the helper, the comforter, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And he would come to render a threefold conviction on the world. This coming directly from John chapter 15. 
So let, let's look at these three convictions. Conviction number one. He says that Jesus, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would come and convict of sin. He would come convict the world. That's what the Bible says, that Holy Spirit would come and convict the world of sin. Now, whether you call it racism, bigotry, bias, privilege or supremacy, Yeshua called it sin. The crazy thing is the Jews that crucified Jesus didn't believe that they were sinning. They actually believed that they were doing the will of Yahweh. However, they were not convicted of their sin until their hearts were pricked by the power of Holy Spirit through the preaching of Peter in Acts chapter 2 verses 37 through 40. The famed Bible commentator William Barclay stated, it is the influence of the Holy Spirit in a man's heart which convicts him of sin. That wasn't the only conviction though. There was, there was a second conviction that that Jesus says needs to happen from Holy Spirit. And that is the conviction of righteousness. Now peep this. After a full day of torture, punishment, and execution, what do you think caused that Roman centurion to look up at the corpse of Jesus and say, truly, this was the Son of God? I promise you, it wasn't just the earthquake and it wasn't the darkness. It, it was, in fact, the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the reality is only the spirit of truth can invade men's hearts beyond their personal beliefs, beyond empirical data. And we need the truth of God. We need the spirit of truth to come right now to invade every heart. And implant divine truth in it. We really need that in our nation right now. But here's the third conviction. Here's the third conviction. And, and, and I really, I really like this. I really like what, what is happening here uh, in, in John chapter 15. Listen, listen what, um, what this third conviction is. Judgment. Mm-hmm. Judgment. Peep this. Psalms chapter 7. Psalm 7, 11 declares that God is a righteous judge, a God who feels indignation every day. The Hebrew understanding of this text is that God judges with a perfect equality and upholds a daily disdain for any wickedness that resides in one's heart or that is manifested through a person's hands. We must, we must, we must take comfort in the reality that our God shows no partiality and will indiscriminately judge not only what is done, but what is desired. <laughs> I thank God for that truth. You know what? For me, it's not enough that a trigger happy white supremacist gets indicted. Honestly, it's not enough. It's not enough that a jaded police officer loses his stripes. To be even more frank, it's not enough to see charlatan faith leaders get exposed for their evil deeds and even predators in our community 
who are finally caught. My most fervent plea, what, what, what would be enough for me? What, what would really bring me satisfaction is that Holy Spirit would convict the hearts of individuals while these ungodly acts are still seeds in their souls. When it comes to judges, <laughs> listen, no matter how noble the magistrate, no matter how solid they are, no matter how well their moral character is, all of them are subject to their own humanity and to error. This is why we have seen so many miscarriages of justice. But even in this, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit would come and bring judgment to the world. Now, while it may seem that Holy Spirit's docket is backlogged, we must have faith to believe that the Lord's will shall be done and manifested on earth. So, yeah, that's I just wanted to give my my philosophical and theological rant right there. And I had to write it down because I didn't want to miss anything that I was thinking at that point in time. You know, last week uh, when the when the George Floyd murder took place. I mean, I found myself lamenting just about every day in the week. And so, yeah, I, I had to write down some of my thoughts. But now uh, if we want to if we want to press forward to keep at, to keep answering the question, what shall we say to these things? Here's 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 some of my thoughts. The first thing that we have to do is we have to create space for people to lament constructively while praying and affirming our biblical position and responsibility. We have to create a space for proper lamenting. You know, to lament is it's a form of worship and, and it can even be a form of therapy. And so we need to create those kind of outlets as a faith leader, as a community leader, as a father. Even I need to create those spaces for my family. I need to create those spaces for uh, my parishioners. I need to create those spaces for my community. Uh, and, and notwithstanding the fact that all of these traumatic sites that we see create a sense of real PTSD, uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome in a lot of our communities. And so, you know, I think that we need to create constructive spaces for lamenting while again, you know, praying, seeking God, staying connected to our biblical witness. But we also need to create outlets um, for expression. We also need to create opportunities for therapy, for counseling. Um, you know, these Issues cause mental and emotional stress that could very well lead to um, severe mental and emotional issues uh, later on that could manifest themselves in physical ways. And so uh, we, we have to give space for that. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. And and and, and not rush through that, not rush to conclusion, not rush to, OK, OK, fine. Get over it. Get over it. No, we, we got to deal. We got to deal with that. We got to we got to we got to live in that lament for a while. Um, you know, when you look in the scripture, the prophet Jeremiah, he has a whole book of lamenting because 
you know, it was a severe issue that that his he, his people uh, were facing in that season, in that time. And so uh, we got to give that space for lamenting. The second thing is, I think as a people, we have to pursue and keep pursuing efforts of economic empowerment. We have to do it. We have to do it. We have to look for ways and means for economic empowerment for us uh, at, at our church and in our community. We are uh, we've been blessed to have some properties and, you know, some different connections. And so we're doing some redevelopment so that we can create some economic engines for our people. It's hard to decry a system that pays you every month. Honest. It's, it's hard to push back against a system that you are dependent upon. We need to develop means of financial, social, uh, community independence so that we can be able to really push the narrative forward as it relates to our own development, as it relates to our own empowerment. Uh, I'm, I was told once that if you're not at the table, you're on the table. And so we, we, we have to, uh, in, 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 a, in a third idea that I have, uh, we have to look into assuming seats on advisory boards or clergy councils uh, of our local authorities, as well as uh, pursuing uh, seats for grand juries. Uh, my grandfather, uh, the late Reverend Dr. Joseph Lee Jr., during the, the 90s, he served on the L.A. grand jury. Uh, in most major cities, uh, counties have grand juries, and this is a uh, a body of citizens that help not only shape policy, but help determine what does and what is, excuse me, and what is not prosecuted. And so we need these advisory boards for our local police stations, our local police forces, uh, you know, the the local governmental officials, whatever uh, boards that we can assume seats that we can assume. Uh, you know, most mayor's offices, most city council offices, they have clergy councils, they have community advisory boards. We need to begin to assume some of these seats of power so that we can begin to help uh, shape the narrative. And now, in addition to this, I think that we also and I'm speaking as an African-American man, faith leader, pastor, you know, father, husband. Uh, I think we need to create multi ethnic consortiums that can come together to create productive solutions for our community uh, and give a balanced response to the myriad of injustices that take place in our community. Um, I'm engaging with some of my Anglo brothers, some of my Filipino brothers, my Hispanic brothers. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we need to have a, yeah, a balanced response. It can't just be the black response it can't just be the white response it can't just be the hispanic response or the asian response we need to have a consortium we need to sit down because everybody has their own unique vantage point and i believe that when we get these other perspectives and we join together because i i, I, I don't want to sound like a, a optimist here but i genuinely believe and i, I mean there's nothing wrong with sounding like an optimist you know i have faith in god I genuinely believe that there is more that unites us than there is that divides us. Now, the 
the dividing lines are fault lines. Honest, they are. They are. But I still believe that there is more that unites us as people, as members of the human race. And so now, as it relates to even this past weekend, all of the protests that have taken place. I posted something um, this past weekend. I serve on the um, the mayor of Los Angeles's interfaith clergy uh, collective. And so I'm able to meet with the mayor's office quite frequently and, and meet with the rare directly and get different information that's rolling down for our community. It's been very helpful during this pandemic and even now, of course, during this, these civil unrest. And so I got the word directly from the mayor's office um, this this past weekend that the National Guard was coming, that police were going to have the authority to arrest and that these arrests were not going to be covered under the no bail policy that was released during this pandemic. And so I got online and I got on my social media platform and and I told especially our young black and brown uh, millennials, our young people, our sons and our daughters, I told them to go home. I told them to go home and that this was not the way. And I got a lot of backlash. I got I got a lot of backlash. Some some good, um, you know, and I was able to have some great discourse. But um, the reason why I said that is because I have an understanding of how our judicial system works, how our um, justice system engages. And so knowing my community, I know that some of our young people that were going to get arrested, that would have gotten arrested, did not have the means to even get bailed out, did not have the means to have proper um, representation. And, and beyond that, because of this pandemic that is facing our city and state and nation and world, uh, the court system is backlogged. There was no telling when our our young people uh, would be seen by a judge. And so. Uh, considering all of the atrocities that take place inside of the prison system, you know, our local local county jail systems, uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather be looked at as the 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 unwoke dude. I'll take that hit that night, you know, because I didn't want to see my young people, our young people be in that space. But I want to make this clear. I do believe in protests. I do believe in protests. I believe as a church that that we should protest. I believe there, there are three P's that we need to engage in right now. Number one, we need to engage in prayer. For sure, we need to pray. If my people called by my name, so the Lord says, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins. I'll heal the land. That's what the word says. That's what I believe. So we need to pray. But I also believe that we need to protest. I believe that we need to speak truth to power. I do believe that we need to demonstrate absolutely uh, the civil rights movement that our forefathers developed and and uh, innovated uh, were on the backs of protests. I believe in it. Dr. King, Dr. Abernathy, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. I mean, that that protesting was a big part of what they did. They also boycotted. And we're not going to get into that right now because I know everybody, everybody about their life and everybody got to have a bling and, and they whatever. But we did boycott. That's a part of protest as well. Not spending our money, you know, channeling our resources, pooling our resources, helping one another. That was a part of it as well. But maybe maybe we'll talk about that later on. 
But there's a third P that that we need to deal with as well. And that P is policy. Policy. You got to hear me. We. We cannot just pray. We cannot just protest. We also have to engage policy. This morning uh, I posted on Instagram uh, and I said to all of those who protested this past weekend, keep that same energy during your next local election and especially on November 3rd. (laughs) Justice is the agenda. That's what I said. And, you know, people have been engaging. And one of my one of my dear brothers, one of my covenant brothers text me. And I want to read you, uh, you know, our, our our discourse. I want to share with you some of the text messages that 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 my brother and I share with each other. Um, and maybe this will help give some perspective as well. And then I'll then then I'll let you go. <laughs> so in response to that, to that tweet and Instagram post that I that I um that I put out, he says, I don't think there's anything on the November 3rd ballot to help us. We need to start working on getting things on the ballot. I said, Hey brother, I totally disagree. But to your point, whoever's in the white house will determine who's in the DOJ. In other words, who leads the department of justice for the nation. And furthermore, uh, they will be responsible for filling the Supreme Court seat that will be made available, presumably in this next administration. I further said on the local level, uh, we're working with mayor's office and city council to make some moves and and to to engage in our local on our local level to to get some seats of power, to maybe get some special elections brought uh, brought to pass to uh develop some measures and initiatives that can be presented to our local uh, city councils and even to the state offices so that we can begin to make some change at the local level. Uh, But then he says, he says, listen, I, I, he says, I agree uh, to the Supreme court justice point, but uh, he says that Biden, uh, he, he, he's, he's, he's not for us. (laughs) <laughs> he said he said Joe Biden is not for us. And and here's here's what I think. I said I think that Joe Biden will be like Lindenberg Johnson. He may not necessarily be quote unquote for us, but he knows what's good for him and he won't go against us. I don't perceive that he will develop a lot of policy that will be, you know, groundbreakingly beneficial for our people. But if we develop it and present it to his administration, he won't say no. <laughs> my, my brother responds, he says, we need watchdog with proper power to hold police department officers accountable as well as civil case payment to come from police pensions or Mandate that cops have malpractice insurance and a reasonableness cause is added to those type of arrests so that cops can't say I feared for my life. <laughs> then he asked the question, what can blacks possibly threaten Biden with? Uh, we literally have to vote for him. 
<laughs> but notice, notice my response. Listen to this. This is what I told him. I said, you're right. But guess what? We don't have to vote for him again. And the only thing a presidential candidate wants more than being elected is being reelected. And I won't share the rest of the conversation because it gets a little more graphic. But anyway, um, we have to engage policy. We got to do it all. We, we, we have to. This has to be a multi pronged effort. And so um, we'll talk more in the days and the weeks ahead. But I just wanted to share my heart, my perspective and kind of put my thoughts on the table Uh, I know you got some things to do today and this week, and so do I. And so remember, in whatever you get today, make sure you get a perspective. God bless, family. Stay safe.